Today on Blue 58, one preseason game is behind us. What, if anything, can be learned and who needs to step up going forward? Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, doing a little daytime podcast recording. This is weird. It's Friday morning and we're going to be firing this episode out as soon as I get it taped. Uh, just was not able to pull off this staying up late after the after the game last night. Just was not going to happen. So I figured we would let it sit for a little while, reflect on the game, get some thoughts out here. I'm calling this one 16 observations from the first Packers preseason game. If there's 16 in here, that's great. If there's more, if there's less, it was just a title. It looked pretty good. Anyway, let's dive right in. Let's talk about this first preseason game. First and foremost, before we go any further, we have to talk about the Foghorn. It has to go. It does not increase home field advantage. does not make the crowd louder. Nobody on the opposing team cares. It sounds dumb. It sounds like a knockoff of the Vikings horn, which is already bad and dumb. And it's bad enough that they have two different versions of the already bad horn. This is a version that's worse than both of those. This is awful. It needs to go away. It has to go away right now. The game itself looked like a preseason game through and through. A little bit sloppy, a lot of penalties, a lot of turnovers. Much more about individual players than offensive or defensive units or the entire team or the score or anything like that. For me, in games like this, you're looking for guys who don't screw it up, who look like they belong, and who contribute on special teams. And we got quite a bit of that in this game. Let's talk a little bit about the offense, then about the defense, then about going forward. First on offense, let's start with the quarterbacks. To me, Deshaun Kaiser and Tim Boyle seem relatively even. And if you differ with me on that, I wouldn't push back too hard. I think this quarterback race seems a lot, seems to be a lot about um, what you're looking for from a quarterback and what you're reading into the situation. Deshaun Kaiser, to me, seems like a quarterback who could go win it for you, but who also might take you completely out of the game. We saw that early last year, of course. Tim Boyle, Looks like he may not lose it for you. He looks like he's capable of going out there and executing the offense. I would have some questions about him long term. Is he a good guy that's going to elevate your offense at all? Kaiser's highs seem higher, but his lows seem lower. To me, that almost seems like Tim Boyle should be ahead of him on the depth chart. I'd like to see Tim Boyle get the first crack with the offense in one of these games. Because I wonder if he he would have even more success than he's had working with some of the higher-end players on the roster. I can see why Kaiser does get that first crack, though, because the things that he does well and when he's on, he's really, really good. He can be really, really good. But he also makes some absolutely inexplicable decisions. He misses some really easy things, and he seems like he's only about 80% in control. Tim Boyle, for all of his shortcomings, and there are some, never seems as flustered as Kaiser gets when Kaiser gets flustered. And I think that is admirable. If I had to choose between the two of them right now, I think I might pick Boyle. But I'm not super firm on that position, and I still think they may end up with three. Now, if they're really close, if it's really close between the two of them, I don't know how you justify keeping both. You probably should just pick one or the other and work on finding somebody else as a longer-term prospect. Maybe that's Manny Wilkins, maybe that's somebody else. In the meantime, you should probably use that third quarterback slot on somebody else. However, if there is a difference and you still think the other guy can develop, you should 
keep both of them and hope that that other guy develops. What you shouldn't do is just keep Deshaun Kaiser because you traded some stuff for him and you've invested this money or these resources or whatever. That's the sunk cost fallacy. That's what we talked about with uh, Brett Hundley in 2017. That's not a good way of going about stuff. So avoid that. Make the, the call on merits. And if it's close, probably just keep one of the two guys. Running backs, you're looking for fit here. And you're looking for guys that look like they belong in an NFL game. I know I circle back to this one a lot at this time of year, but I think it's a good example. In 2012, the Packers were in rough shape running back-wise. That was the year that they ended up bringing, bringing in Cedric Benson about midway through camp. It was not a good year. They had a bunch of guys banged up. And so they ended up using this guy named Mark Tyler out of USC as their running back for most of the preseason. And he ended up getting the ball a lot. And it was painfully obvious on each and every carry that he was just soaking up reps because he did not belong on an NFL team. He just was not quick enough, not explosive enough, wasn't a good blocker, wasn't a good receiver. But they had nobody else to put at running back, so he ended up taking a lot of the carries. I don't get that impression from any of the running backs the Packers played last night. They all looked like they belong on an NFL field. Dexter Williams looks like he fits in well with this zone running scheme. He can pick his holes pretty well. He's explosive when they do pick the holes. When he does pick the holes, Matt LaFleur said after the game that he would like to see Williams be a bit more decisive in creating some of his own stuff rather than just waiting and waiting and waiting for stuff to develop. I think that's fair. And I think that's a pretty common thing with rookie running backs. Trey Carson, a lot of the same stuff there. Plus, he has some really cool cleats. Always a plus. We should also talk about Corey Grant here just for a second. Released, or the news comes that he was released just uh, a few hours before the game. In in the grand scheme of things, this is probably not that big of a deal. It's not really that surprising at all that he ends up cut. Probably, though, the most surprising early cut among guys who are probably going to get cut anyway. I think that's how we've characterized most of these guys in and around the Dexter Williams level. That third string or maybe slightly past number three running back slot most of these guys are just camp bodies anyway, and because they've had a lot of injuries at the running back position, they need guys who can soak up those reps, give you some good looks, and maybe contribute somewhere down the road if you find a diamond in the rough here. Grant just seems like a guy, or seemed to me like a guy who was going to get a shake, a pretty fair shake at one of those roster spots. I don't think the other would have been considered a favorite, but it is a little surprising to see him get cut early with the caveat that he was probably going to get cut anyway. Offensive line. Don't want to spend a whole lot of time on offensive line because offensive line is painfully difficult to evaluate, especially if you're just watching TV tape. However, it was really disappointing to see the early penalties, and it was also disappointing to see Cole Madison struggle. They did give him some reps at center. He didn't do super great there. He had the two penalties playing at guard. Not a great first game in almost two years for Cole Madison. I'm hopeful that he can turn it around. He's probably on the outside looking in right now, though I did have him on my roster projection. That's a guess as much as anything. There are quite a few roster spots beyond the top five players or so, I think, open on the offensive line. You've got your four super locked-in starters in David Bakhtiari, Corey Lindsley, Billy Turner, and Brian Bulaga. You've got one starter who may be a little bit iffy in Lane Taylor, but is still probably a a better bet than average to make the roster. Then you've got Elton Jenkins, the second-round draft pick. He's going to be in for sure. Beyond that, you've probably got two or three spots available, and that's a pretty fair number of spots. 
uh, within a position group at this point in training camp. You don't see a lot of position groups on a roster where there's three spots up for grabs. That's what we're looking like looking at on the offensive line here. So I think that's still pretty wide open. You'd probably pencil Alex Light in there for one of those spots just because he's a tackle. You like Adam Pankey a little bit because you can play tackle and guard, and even Justin McRae probably a little bit too. Though of those three, he would be my third favorite, and I've got him pretty down my list of preferences just generally. Finally, Jamon Moore. Let's talk about this for a second. I think I've seen what I need to see here. Uh, If they cut him today, I would not even really feel that bad about it. Um, I'm sure he would, but uh, I, I wouldn't think about it twice. I think there's other better options in camp right now. He, to me, is the one guy who looks absolutely wide eyed out there. He looks stunned whenever the ball comes his way. He just doesn't look ready whenever the ball comes his way. And that was pretty evident on that drop he had in the end zone. That drop was horrific. Uh, it couldn't have been much worse. And the touchdown catch a play later wasn't much better. He double caught that one, bobbled it pretty close or pretty well. It was close to not being a catch. He also made Deshaun Kaiser look really bad slipping out of a break, which is never great. You don't want to make your quarterback look bad. I think compared to some of the other options in camp right now, he's just, uh, well, it's, it's just kind of disappointing. Just look at Sterling Shepard and Alan Lazard as two examples. Uh, The thing about Moore is he's big and athletic, but he's not particularly big and not particularly athletic. Lazard is significantly bigger. Shepard is significantly more athletic. Why not go with one of those two options over a guy who's kind of mediocre at a few things and can't seem to figure out how to catch the ball reliably? I think I'm out on Jamon Moore for right now. He's got a long way to go if he wants to make his way onto the roster, I think. On top of that, he doesn't contribute a whole lot on special teams, though he was a punt gunner at times a little bit last year, did some kick return stuff. I don't think he's anybody's first choice there. Let's switch over to defense for a second. First, the new athleticism was evident. The defense overall just seems faster and more aggressive. Always good to see there, but that makes it all the more disappointing that they screwed up on so many simple things. Tackles, uh, not getting off the field on third down, losing contain on Joe Webb, just inexcusable stuff like that. Sure, the turnovers were great, but overall, you'd rather just win with execution. You don't want to have to rely on turnovers or things breaking your way like that. You'll take them whenever they come, but that's not the foundation of a great defense. Rashawn Gary was exciting to see, legitimately exciting. His athleticism was every bit as advertised. And this is going to sound like a shot at Gary, but it's not. To me, he already looks like everything that Nick Perry was supposed to be. Think back to the 2012 NFL Combine. Nick Perry was a testing monster. Uh, Put up numbers that are still among the best of anybody drafted in the Ted Thompson to Brian Gutekunst era. Just incredible. Rashawn Gary put up those kind of numbers as well, but he looks already better at putting it all together on the field than Nick Perry was, at least as a pass rusher and a little bit in the run too. It's pretty obvious looking at him that he does need to work on some pass rushing moves. If he didn't win with athleticism last night, he went to the bull rush. And if he didn't win with the bull rush, well, it was pretty well over. But you did see some times when he just flat out blew past guys because he was so much more athletic than them. And that's pretty exciting. The Packers haven't had anything like that on the outside since like, what, 2010, 2011, before Clay Matthews really started to get banged up. It's exciting to have somebody like that on the field, on the roster. And I'm interested to see 
what sort of opportunities he'll get when he's on the field with some other more premium pass rushers. What is What are his opportunities like when Kenny Clark is out there, when Zadarius Smith or Preston Smith is out there rushing opposite from him? What sort of things can he do when he rushes from the inside? That's pretty cool to think about, and I'm excited um, to see what comes next. Montrevious Adams also looks noticeably more athletic. And that was always kind of his game coming out of Auburn, but he looks even more so this year. He looks great, slimmed down, and primed to take advantage of those athletic traits that he has. However, it's also very obvious that he plays too high. He's almost always completely upright when he's going through the line. He's never the low man winning. He he wins with quickness and athleticism, which is fine, But you're also going to end up off balance a lot. And this, I think, leads to him being on the ground a lot, which is something that you can see if you watch him for even just a couple plays. He's going to end up getting knocked over. Ty Summers, the seventh-round pick, seems to fit in pretty nicely. He's a big, thick guy, but pretty athletic too. And the door is wide open for him because of Oren Burke's injury. Speaking of Oren Burke's, this is a real bummer for him. A guy I was excited to see this year. Uh, them's the breaks though. That happens. And uh, we, I haven't seen any news yet as to what exactly his injury is. It didn't look super great though. And you don't want to play doctor on the radio here, but um, it, it just looks like the sort of thing that could linger for a while, which is the exact issue that he had last year. This makes that safety linebacker nickel hybrid sort of guy all the more important which gives us a great opportunity to say hello to Ibrahim Campbell. I think a lot of people predicted this. This is something that had kind of fallen off my radar, but uh, Campbell was in in Green Bay for a few weeks last year, made a pretty quick impact before he tore up his knee late in the season. Now he's back to being ready to go. He's on the physically unable to perform list for right now, but they are considering him, I guess, a, a key part of this roster going forward, and that makes the safety group a little bit more interesting going forward as well. Finally, the secondary. Uh, the picks were nice to see. It's hard to evaluate individual players, although it, do, it was cool to see kind of the, the on-field results immediately match the hype with Kadar uh, um, Holman. Uh, Chandon Sullivan's pick was fantastic. I think overall, it was nice to just see the secondary being, in general, more aggressive going for the ball. That was how the fumble happened. That was how those two picks happened. That is cool to see and something that hasn't been uh, present in Green Bay for a long, long time. Let's look ahead for a second. Who needs to step up moving forward? First, I think you got to have a wide receiver after the first couple tiers of players. I think at the top tier right now, you've got Devontae Adams, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Geronimo Allison, and Jake Kumaro. I think all of those spots are locked up. Um, the people seem to consistently be counting Jake Kumaro out. I see some training camp or some roster predictions that still have him on the lower end here. I think that's kind of silly at this point. He seems like he's good to go. Aaron Rodgers might retire if they don't bring him onto the active roster this year. So I think those four are pretty well locked in. There's another group that probably will get two of these three guys in. Uh, Equinemia St. Brown, Trevor Davis, and Jamon Moore. Uh, EQ and Trevor Davis have an inside uh, track just based on special teams contributions. And of those three, St. Brown seems like the best actual wide receiver. Jamon Moore is the distant third of those three. If you keep two of those three, that already gets you to six wide receivers, which is probably full up uh, for this year. I don't see them going to seven. It's not impossible though. And I think if you're going to seven, you have to choose from another group, a third tier here. You've got Sterling Shepard and Alan Lazard. 
to me, those seem like the, the best option of that of those remaining wide receivers. There are a bunch of them out there. Those two seem like the next up for me. Running back. Somebody needs to lock up the third running back job. Uh, I've written at length in the past about how third string running backs really don't matter. And they don't matter to the point that I've kind of made that a, a running joke here on the podcast. The Christian Michael Memorial action star running back. That's kind of what we're looking for in that spot. But this might be a different ball game with a, a more run-oriented coach in town. We don't really know how things are going to shake out in terms of reps, in terms of division of labor, things like that. That remains to be seen, and it'll be interesting to see how it actually plays out. On defense, there's a couple position groups that seem pretty wide open. We already talked about inside linebacker, a couple more. Corner is wide open, it seems, after that fourth slot or so. You've got Jair Alexander, Kevin King, Josh Jackson, and Tremont Williams that all seem like pretty good bets, although Josh Jackson, if he doesn't get healthy here in short order, he's probably headed for injured reserve to start the season, you'd almost think. Um but beyond those, that group of guys, it seems pretty wide open. You've got Tony Brown in there too, so he's probably as close to a lock as you can get for a second-year undrafted free agent. But there are, there's room out there for guys to make an impact. And uh, if you want to make an impact, there's really no better way to make picks than no better way than to make picks in preseason games. So Chandon Sullivan and Kadar Holman off to a great start there. Safety also probably pretty open after the first two, maybe three. You've got Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage and probably Raven Green in there too, but if the Packers keep four or even five safeties, you have to think it's pretty open after that. Clearly, they like uh, Ibrahim Campbell, but he's not ready to go just yet. Josh Jones, still a bit of a mystery man. Um, if if the Campbell uh, acquisition didn't all but doom him, um, you can almost hear Brian Gutekunst preparing his talking points. Uh, well, we tried to get something worked out, but uh, just couldn't find a trading co- uh, partner. We're really thankful for Josh and his contributions here, and we just felt it was time to move on. Uh, you can almost hear that conversation starting already. Natrell Jamerson and Will Redmond got a lot of play last night. Um, could be one of those guys. Could be none of those guys. It could be that they're pretty set with the the three that I mentioned and, and Campbell. We'll see, but it does seem pretty open. Then kicker. I think the Packers and everybody else would prefer that Sam Ficken and Mason Crosby get this sorted sooner rather than later. I'm interested to see what that evaluation is actually like, though. Are they looking for pure performance? Are they looking to the future? Are they just looking to save some money? I'm not really sure. If they're just looking at the money-saving route, it almost seems like a no-brainer to cut Mason Crosby right now. This is really the first time that his contract is friendly to, to a cut and would actually save you a significant amount of money. If Ficken is close to Crosby, you almost seem like, the, or you almost think that should be a deciding factor. If it was for Mike Daniels, why not for this kicker battle? Certainly doesn't seem like you could get a lot worse than Crosby was at times last year, though he did finish the season pretty strong after the debacle in Detroit. Again, I think the Packers and everybody else would want this suit sorted out sooner rather than later, so let's hope that's what happens. Three preseason games to go, 16 regular season games to follow. Would like to remind you, the season is already 5% over in terms of actual games that we are guaranteed to see. Sure, we're hoping the Packers make a deep playoff run, but we're only guaranteed 16 regular season games and four preseason games every year. Our schedule is already 5% done. That's kind of crazy. Time's moving fast already. Um, Enjoy football season while it's here. It's very fleeting. Do appreciate you tuning in for this episode. That's all I've got for you. Thanks so much. 
for listening. Do appreciate it. If you like what you heard and want to help us keep things going, support us by rating and reviewing on iTunes or wherever you help happen to listen to the show. It helps more people find us. If you want to take your support to the next level, the best, most straightforward way to do that is by donating $1 per month at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. $1 per month is enough to offset our hosting costs for the podcast and goes a long way towards helping us build the content we know you love here and on thepowersweep.com. And do not forget to check out our t-shirts and sweatshirts by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you've got an idea for the show or just want to say hello, reach us at thepowersweep.com on Facebook or on Twitter or by emailing thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com. Every bit of feedback you give us helps us make Blue 58 and the Power Sweep better, which furthers our mission of helping everyone become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We will see you next time on Blue 58.